For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. why you should use the proper Bible and not a phone. For through the Spirit, by faith, we, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Just pray. Valerie, just bow before you this morning as your people gathered here. And Father, we acknowledge that you are the King of Kings, that you are the Lord of Lords, and that you are sovereign over all. And Father, we come on the dawn of a new year. And Father, you know what the year has been, and you know the year that is to come. And Father, we come many with some are on just so excited about a new year and others are filled with dread. And Father, we know that you know all that lies ahead. Father, we know that you know every person gathered here. You know their fears, you know their struggles, you know their highlights and you know their lowlights. So Father, we pray and what we ask for us as your people here is, Father, that we will put our faith in the rock that will not be moved. So, Father, regardless of what our year has looked like or what our year will look like, Father, we know that we can stand on the never-changing, never-ending love of God. Father, that you are good, that we have sang that you are good. So, Father, we pray that you would help us believe that we trust in a God who is good, a God who never changes, and a God who will never leave us. So, Father, as I pray, as we come to your word this morning, Father, that, that we will see you, that we will give, yeah, that we will just have a bigger view of who you are, of your character, of all that you are, 
And Father, we will leave here, Father, encouraged and changed by your word. Father, I pray for John as he comes. Father, I pray that you would just use him in such a mighty way. Father, we ask just that you would help us to, yeah, to be open to what you have to say. We just pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Right. Good work. Thanks, Emily. And Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, Happy New Year. A couple of things uh, to say before we get going this morning in the text. Uh, I am sure there were some party animals amongst you last night, uh, and uh, you're not feeling great this morning, maybe a bit tired, but uh, can I just pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us and give us energy for the next whatever it is about to keep your eyes open at least. Uh, second thing I need to say this morning is that we have a very special birthday in here today. Can't see exactly where she is right now. Where is she? Oh, there she's there. Jane's 40. 40. All right. Jane has been telling me for the last 10 years that she's been 31. All right. But I can confirm today is the day. <laughs> you know the way you're not supposed to say a woman's age and all that there? That's out the window in Cornerstone. We don't do that. We don't believe in that nonsense. You are what you are. You're 40. Happy birthday. All right. Everybody, wish Jane a happy 40th birthday afterwards. We're not going to sing happy birthday now. She's delighted. Uh, but wish her a happy birthday afterwards. Happy birthday, Jane. Right. We are entering a new year. Have entered a new year. Uh, for some of us, that new year brings reminders of what age we are. Uh, but all of us are that little bit older. All of us are just that little bit older. And we are entering a new year. And if you're a believer, and if you've been a believer for some time, you've been running in the Christian life for whatever amount of years. Phone is messing about something shocking this morning. Uh, Paul describes the Christian life as a race to be run. And he describes it as an endurance race, not a sprint. Now, if you're familiar with any sort of endurance sport, you'll know one of the keys to endurance sport, and you know I do a bit of cycling, I wouldn't call myself an endurance sport athlete by any stretch of the imagination. Does this look like an athlete? No. Right, let's move on. But one of the keys to an endurance sport is pacing. Pacing. It's not a sprint. It's not like, you know, there's a difference between a marathon and a sprint. A marathon, one of the critical elements of a marathon is pacing. A sprint, you just know what you have to do. You have to go flat out for a certain, from here to there, you just go flat out. That's not the same as a marathon. Pacing is important. And the book of Galatians, and I want to start, this is why I want to start out 2023 with this, and in this particular, this text Galatians is about a group of people, a group of churches, who Paul describes as, you were running well. You were running well. Who hindered you? 
So it seems to be that the Galatians started out really, really well. This group of churches, just to give you a bit of context of the Galatian church, this is a group of churches, uh, not just one singular church, the way that Corinthians is one singular church, or Thessalonica is one singular church. The, the Galatians is to a group of churches in modern-day Turkey. Paul had been there, he had planted some of these churches, and he had seen them established in the gospel, and he had known that they were running well in the gospel, and then something happened to them. Someone hindered them. Something got in the way. They, were, they started out terrific, but they tanked. You've probably all saw clips of marathon runners uh, or, or triathletes or whatever coming into the last stages and they just hit the wall, as it's talked about. Well, the Galatian church seems to have hit the wall. They have tanked. They have stopped running well. And the Bible tells us there's a couple of things in the Christian life that can stop us from running well. The, the author of Hebrews says that the weight of sin can hinder us from running well. Sin creeps into our lives, and that stops us, that slows us down, that hinders us. But there is a second thing that can hinder us in the Christian life, which is directly what the, the book of Galatians is talking about, and that is false teaching. False teaching. And that's the case for the Galatians. And in particular, the false teaching that the Galatians had, had creeped into the Galatian church was this. They failed to understand the freedom of the Christian life. They failed to understand Christian freedom. And what I want to do today is just walk through the passage that was read for us. And, and in particular, it's sort of split in three. Paul gives three instructions to the, to the church in Galatia. He gives three sets of instructions, and what I want to do is just walk through them for an encouragement for us as we walk into this new year, for us to do a bit of a gut check to see if we are believing in right teaching on the gospel or false teaching on the gospel. Right. First thing he says is this, Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to the yoke of slavery. You see, if Galatians, and it is, is seen as this showcase book for Christian freedom, this has to be one of the most important key verses in the whole of the book. Live free, Paul is going to say to the Galatians church. Christ has set you free from slavery. What was the slavery that he had set this group of people free from? Well, primarily idolatry, idol worship. But instead of living free, the Galatian church had went back to idol worship, as it were. They were reverting to the slavery of idols, uh, they were reverting to the slavery of the Old Testament law in parts. And they were depending on that for their salvation. And Paul wants to teach the Galatian church, listen, don't go back 
It is for freedom. Christ has set you free. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery, which is idolatry and believing that certain things will save you. Basically, that's what he's saying. But there's one element here that we need to pick up on that's really important. Christ must be the object of our affections if we are to live free. Christ must be the object of our affections if we are to live free. Christ is the one who has set us free. He is our liberator. We should adore our liberator. I said it a couple of weeks ago in a sermon, but the Exodus, the story of the Exodus where God liberates his people is a foreshadowing of what Jesus does for us. Only what Jesus does for us is far greater than any deliverance from a people group. Jesus delivers us from our sin, the bondage of our sin and the penalty of our sin. And we should adore him for that. As we enter into a new year, where are your affections? Are they for your liberator, Jesus? If not, why not? If not, why not? One of the reasons I, I, I would suggest why not is that we may have forgotten how bad slavery actually was. For those of us, as I say, maybe who have been running the Christian life for, for years and years and years, we have forgotten just how bad slavery was, and therefore we do not adore our liberator the way that we should. We forget what the bondage and the penalty of sin really actually is. Thomas Watson said, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. We need to remember what we have been delivered from to appreciate our deliverer. And the reality is for us as a church, I think for us as a church, and if you're visiting with us, like I'm, only, I'm only really speaking to us as a church here. For us as a church, we know the theory. We're really good on the theory. Objectively, we know the truth. We know that Jesus is the only one that sets us free. We know that He is the one who has provided salvation. We know that if we trust in Him alone, uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we will be saved. We know that objectively. The theoretically, we know that. I guarantee you, if I was to talk to the church in Cornerstone, every single one would know that. The problem is, subjectively or experientially, do we know that? Do we know that? We know the theory, but do we know it in our lives experientially? You see, if you were to go to the Galatian church and ask them what they believed, I guarantee you they would say that they believed in salvation through Jesus alone, but they were practicing something different. They had fallen back into the law. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, in his commentary in Romans 6, he says this, 
Imagine you were a slave in the southern U.S. before the Emancipation Proclamation. You can't vote. You don't have rights. Someone can beat you, probably kill you. You don't have any rights. Therefore, when you were in the town and a white person said, do this or do that, you would get frightened and do what they said. Now it's ten years later. The Emancipation Proclamation is over. You have rights. You walk into the town. A white person yells at you, even though you know in your head that you have rights. You still get scared, and you're still acting like a slave. And he says, this is the condition of every Christian. You know in your head you're free, but you're in your heart you're still prone to slavery, the slavery of idols. You know there's no condemnation. But still, you let other people's opinions rule your life or successes or failures or whatever. And he's right. That is the reality for every Christian. In our heads we know the Bible says here, for freedom Christ has set us free. And what do we do? We live often in slavery. Slavery to idols, slavery to popular opinion, slavery to what other people think of you, slavery to whatever you want to put on it. Many of us will enter in this year to the slavery of what this year will bring. And Jesus says, Paul says here in Galatians, it is for freedom Christ has set you free. Do not go back to idolatry. Stop acting like slaves. Live free. Let me ask just a blatant, blunt question. Are you living free, or are you still submitting to the yoke of slavery, which is idolatry? Which is idolatry. Another author that I read this week gives a great illustration of just the love that we should have for our liberator. It's another story from the Civil War. Uh, a story from the Civil War before American slaves were freed. Uh, it's about a northerner who, who went to a slave auction, purchased a young slave girl, and as they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the girl and said to her, You're free. So this guy had come down from the north to one of the southern auctions, bought the girl, and was setting her free. He, she said, you mean, I'm free to do whatever I want? He said, yes. Anything? Yes. And to be wherever I want to be? Yes. To go wherever I want to go? Yes. And she said, then I'm going with you. Why? She loved her liberator. So it is with us, with Jesus. He is the one who has set us free. So therefore, we go with him. We go with him. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, live free. Live free. 
The second thing that Paul shows us here in this passage is from verses 2 down to 12. It is this, live in the truth. Not only live free, but live in the truth. The Galatians were not running any longer in the truth. They were listening to this message that had crept into the church of bondage. And in verses 2 through 12, Paul confronts the false teachers, and he, he sustains this argument then down to verse 12, and then he ends it with a bang. And you'll see that in a moment. So what was the teaching? What was the teaching that had crept into the church in Galatia that was the problem? Well, they were going back to the law, and in particular, they were going back to, to circumcision. And there was a, there's, a, there's a group of people in the Bible, and they're called the circumcision party. Trust me, that ain't no party. That is not a party. Trust me. <clears throat> but they were going back there, and they were, they were saying, this, this part of the law, you need Jesus plus. It's not Jesus on his own, Christ alone. No, it's Jesus plus this. And if you do Jesus plus this, then you'll be saved. Then you'll be saved. And Paul notes, he notes here five disastrous results of listening to this message. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Right. So the first disastrous result of listening to this message of Christ plus anything is that you nullify the sufficiency of Jesus. You nullify the sufficiency of Jesus. Salvation by any human achievement sees Christ as insufficient. John Calvin wrote, whoever wants half of Christ loses the whole. It's either all Jesus or it's nothing. You can't add to the work of Jesus. Jesus' work is perfect. You can't add or improve on it. Now, we would say, I guarantee you again, if I was to ask any of you, do you believe that you're adding anything to the work of Christ for your salvation? I guarantee the theory would be no. Definitely not. But I wonder, is that the truth for all of us? You have to do a real bit of gut searching here to find out if that's actually true. Because there is a tendency in the human heart to want to work for this. To be Jesus plus something. Jesus plus service. Jesus plus church attendance. Jesus plus short-term mission trip. Jesus plus whatever. It's none of that. It is Jesus. Not one thing we do can add to the work of Christ on the cross. Nothing. In fact, the Bible tells us that all our works are like what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. The second thing Paul shows us here in verse 3. So that's 
Christ is viewed as insufficient. The second, or the second thing he says here, I testify again to you, every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obliged, obligated to keep the whole law. So if you, if you want to be Christ plus something, if you want to be Christ plus one part of the law, in this case it was circumcision, that means that you have to keep the whole law. Who's up for that? Anybody? Anybody want that? No. Trust me. You don't want that. The ritual of circumcision carried this further all-encompassing obligation, observing the law in every precept. No one can do that. No one can do that. There was only one who could do that, and that is Christ. And he has fulfilled it on our behalf. The third thing Paul says here is that if you accept circumcision or anything, Christ plus anything, you fall away from the doctrine of grace. Verse 4. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. We are a unashamedly grace-based church. We believe in the grace of Christ. But if you add anything to Jesus, you are falling away from grace. Fourth and finally, if you accept anything, Jesus plus anything, you lose the hope of your future salvation. Verse 5. For through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. You and I are not righteous. We are positionally righteous through Jesus, but we ourselves are not righteous. We sing it. As I say, we often sing, we sing lovely songs about grace and we, we sing lovely songs about in faith in Christ alone and my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But we need to believe that. We need to believe it. We need to keep running in the truth, live in the truth. Paul then goes on to list five characteristics of false messengers, false teachers. Verse 8, they're not of God. They couldn't be. <clears throat> Verse 9, they contaminate others. They're like leaven that works their way through and permeate everything. This church in Galatia were running well. They believed the gospel. They believed in grace. And false teachers crept in and got in amongst the people and started to needle the people. And what happens when that, ha when that happens? It goes through the church like leaven. And I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, like single denominations out this morning, or I'm not gonna do that. But we can see this clearly, especially in our land. Like you don't need to think too hard to think about this. Where you see this, it's Jesus plus this. It's Jesus plus how you look. It's Jesus plus what Bible you carry. It's Jesus plus something nonsense, false teaching. 
Jesus plus nothing, or it's not Jesus at all. Verse 10, they will be judged. Verse 11, they persecute true teachers of the gospel. Let me, let me read verse 11 for us. Do we see this? Verse 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Galatians, was being persecuted for preaching the freedom of the gospel. Right, let us think through this for a second, because this is important. You would think, you would think that preaching the gospel, preaching something that is totally available to all people, free to all people, accepted by, would be accepted by people, but no. No. Here's the reality of, of evangelism even. For, for us going into 2023, we'd love to be more effective at personal evangelism, all of us. But here's the reality. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ came. God-man came. Lived the life that we couldn't live. Lived the perfect life in our place. Died on a cross to take the punishment for our sin so that we could be eternally free and live with God in a restored Eden. Uh, right, okay. There is no greater message than that in the world. And people go, no thanks. No thanks. Why? Because the cross, we're told in Scripture, is an offense. Why? Because people want to earn salvation. They want to earn it. They want to do something for it. The cross is an offense. And Paul was being persecuted. And true preachers of the freedom of the gospel, of the grace of the gospel, will be persecuted today because it is an offense to humanity. And Paul says, and this is where he ends this section with a bit of a bang, I wish those who, would, who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Does anybody need clarity on what that means? No? No? I thought not. You, 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 right, okay, let's, 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 let's follow the flow here of what he's doing. Paul says if you accept circumcision, you, you completely have lost it all, and you might as well go ahead and just get rid of it all. I mean, like, as in, get rid of it all. I don't, I don't want to go into the detail, all right? But you get what I'm saying. Paul didn't mess around, all right? This is not a seeker-sensitive, like, message here, you know? It's not like, oh, come try Jesus and see how it goes. Or, or you false teachers, let me, let me flirt with you or do whatever you want. No! If you come into the church, if you teach a gospel that is not the true gospel, Paul says, why don't you go one step further and cut it all off? He's not messing around. 
He is not messing. Paul says, live, Christ has set us free, live free. Christ has set us free, live in the truth of the gospel. And finally, Christ has set us free, live to love and serve each other. Verse 13 and 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What Paul has done so far is he has addressed the temptation, what he's doing now is addressing the temptation to license. So the message of grace brings with it a temptation, well, grace means we do whatever we want then. No, Paul says. No, Paul uses God's law in, in a positive sense. Paul will say, you are freed from yourself to serve one another, which will fulfill actually the law of God. Sometimes we get into thinking that the law is a bad thing. The law is not a bad thing. God's law is not a bad thing. God's law is not a bad thing because it reflects who God is. So we are set free by grace to what? Do the law. That's, that's, we're, not, we're not set free to gratify ourselves or just sin, sin away. And, and Paul in Romans will say, does that mean that we sin? No, 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 it doesn't mean that you sin. No, we are set free to serve, to love one another and serve one another. Don't live to gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh here obviously is what Paul, Paul's not talking about skin here. He's talking about the old nature, the sinful nature. Don't be a slave. The, actually, the original Greek here is, is really interesting. It's more or less this. Don't be a slave. Be a slave. Don't be a slave. Be a slave. Don't be a slave to the law. Don't be a slave to idolatry. Don't be, do, be a slave for one another. You've been freed to serve. You've been freed to love. That's the purpose for which you have been set free. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says this is a base, basically fulfilling the whole law. Those who are freed by the gospel, by the gospel of grace, are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live new lives of love for one another. Interesting, really interesting here, just to point out. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, for the flesh but through love serve who? one another. Who is he writing to? The church. One another. This is clear in the Scriptures. 
and I'll say something about this, just the other part of this in a moment. Our primary place where we love people and serve people is this. The church. That is clear throughout Scripture. The primary place where God calls followers of Christ to love and serve is in this people group. The church. Now, does that mean that we don't go beyond that? Absolutely not. It should flow from that to that. Random off-track thought coming. Uh, just to warn you, I like to warn you that this is, not, this is not, notes, this is nothing. But we are often, often think about evangelism. How can we evangelize? How can we get the message out there? How can we get the Word of God out there? How can we see people saved? One of the primary ways in which people came to faith in the New Testament was by witnessing how the church loved one another. As we enter into a new year, I want to challenge us to make this the primary place where we love and serve one another. Go and do it elsewhere by all means, but make this the primary place. Let the people of Rathfriland see, and other, wherever we're from, let them see how we love and how we serve one another. And let them be drawn to the beautiful gospel of grace through that. You have been freed for freedom to serve and love one another. Paul's three things in Galatians 5. You've been set free, live free. Don't go back. Don't get caught in idolatry. Don't go back to slavery. Don't, don't submit again to that. You're free, live free. Second thing, you're free, live in the truth. Third thing, you're free, love and serve one another. How are we going to run in 2023? Well, God in His sovereignty has already saw how we'll run in 2023, and that's a good thing. He knows. But my prayer for us as a church is that we will let the gospel of grace and the gospel of grace alone inform how we run in 2023. Love our liberator, King Jesus. Love and serve each other as the church. I'm preaching to the choir here, as I often do, because you're here. But we can't love and serve one another if we're not here. We can't love and serve one another if we're not at our connect groups. We can't love and serve one another if we don't show up.
It's just a fact. If anybody wants to challenge that afterwards, I'll be free. It's just a fact. We cannot love and serve each other if we don't show up. And again, I am preaching to the choir. So the choir's job is to go out and take that to the people who aren't here. All right? It's your job to do that. Show up. Turn up. Stick in there. Love and serve each other. Live in the freedom of the gospel. As, as one of your elders who, who knows a lot of you well and who know the struggles that you have and who know the crap that we all go through, my prayer for us is in 2023, we will live in the freedom of the gospel. Live free, church. Live in the truth. Live to serve and love one another. Let me pray for us.